Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about what's going on in your world. Today's guest is Alberto Mendoza, Executive Director of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and founder of Honor 41. We'll talk about Latinos in today's media and the struggle for representation. We'll also chat about his national nonprofit organization that promotes positive images of Hispanic LGBTQ figures. I want to thank all the folks following us at Jesse Garcia's show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information about upcoming guests, visit jessegarciashow.com. I want to send out an invitation to DC Latinos and allies who are interested in joining a community group, LULAC Lambda. We meet Tuesday, February 13th at 7 p.m. at the West End DC Library, located at 2301 L Street Northwest, just blocks away from Foggy Bottom Metro Station. Join us as we give back to the community through service. Don't forget to tune into the State of the Union this Tuesday, January 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Grab that popcorn to hear what the president has to say and stick around for the Democratic response being given by rising star Massachusetts Congressman Joe Kennedy, grandson of the great Robert Kennedy. The Democratic response in Spanish will be delivered by newly elected Virginia delegate Elizabeth Guzman. But all eyes will be on Democratic Representative Maxine Waters of California. She'll be claiming her time on BET with her own response. And Team Maxine will definitely be must-see TV. And here's your weekly news update. On January 25th, the Washington Post reported that the Trump administration supports an immigration plan that calls for legalizing DACA students in exchange for funding for a wall and limits to permanent residency programs. The plan would allow DREAMers who registered for the Obama administration's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, also known as DACA, a pathway to citizenship in 12 years. DACA covers 690,000 youth and another 600,000 who qualified but didn't sign up, according to the Migration Policy Institute, would also be covered. In return, $25 billion would be set aside for a wall and additional security. The government would end the ability of U.S. citizens to petition for permanent legal residency, also known as green cards, for parents and siblings, limiting the family visas to just spouses and minor children. The Trump administration would also end a diversity visa lottery program that has awarded 50,000 green cards annually to foreigners from countries with low immigration rates to the United States, including many African nations. Grace Martinez, advocacy director for United We Dream, responded to the plan with the following. Let's call this proposal for what it is, a white supremacist ransom note. Trump and Stephen Miller killed DACA and created the crisis that immigrant youth are facing. They have taken immigrant youth hostage, pitting us against our own parents, black immigrants, and our communities in exchange for our dignity. To Miller and Trump's white supremacist proposal, immigrant youth say no. Today's guest is Alberto Mendoza, Executive Director of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, an organization of more than 2,000 members dedicated to the recognition and professional advancement of Hispanics in the news industry. 
This very busy man not only works day to day to try to diversify the newsrooms across the nation by advocating and professionally developing Latino journalists, but he is also working to improve the coverage of Latinos in news stories. During his downtime, Alberto has taken on a special project to highlight the accomplishments of a minority within a minority, the Hispanic LGBTQ community, through his online nonprofit, Honor41.org. Let's hear about his quest to get more media access for Latinos and a surprising quick lesson on Latino LGBT history. I want to welcome to the show Alberto Mendoza. He's the executive director of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and co-founder of Honor 41, a Hispanic LGBT organization. Welcome to the show, Alberto. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Um, First, let's talk about the NA. H.J., a great organization. Tell us a little bit about the organization. Sure. So NHJ has been around for 34 years uh, with the main focus of diversifying newsrooms. Unfortunately, Latinos and Hispanic journalists are still underrepresented, and so our job is to push the networks, the, the newspapers, to make sure that they're hiring diverse candidates. And what are some of the biggest issues facing Hispanic journalists today? Well, frankly, the, the, the downturn in the economy really changed the game for us. Um, a lot of longtime journalists essentially were pushed out um, because, again, newspapers were closing, digital technologies started taking over and incorporating themselves into how journalism is produced now, and, and still just breaking in and making sure that you have an opportunity to really break through the ranks and, and be a journalist that's, that looks like the community you live in. And that's still a big challenge. And so I think some people feel that because we have Spanish language media, that there is no need to put Latinos in front of English language media. But there's a lot of Latinos that they've, you know, they've grown up speaking English, and that is their dominant language. So you're making that case to the networks, correct? Well, yes. I mean, I think that the reality is that the that the Latino experience in the United States is very different. And so I think a lot of our parents perhaps are watching Univision and Telemundo. But our generation and below are really looking at news wherever they can get them. And and actually, that's another shift that's happening now with a young generation, is that they're getting the news from their phone or their computers. Mm-hmm. So they're not waiting to go to, you know, get home and watch the 6.30 you know, nightly news anymore. So the whole industry is also changing. And so between the changes in, in technology and how that needs to be incorporated, but also you know, we don't always have an opportunity to pivot as quickly. And the biggest challenge is that the journalism industry is no longer a linear career. It is more like an S. And so for survival, taking on freelance work, maybe something closed, you start working as a communications director for an organization, then you get hired back into uh, another newspaper. So you just kind of run where you can continue to do the work, but also you need to make a, make a living. Now. Hispanics in the United States, we number around 17-18%. Do you see those numbers in the newsroom, in mainstream media? Is there, do you have statistics? Well, sadly, we do not see those numbers. Um, I think the last report was that in, in television news themselves, as it relates to just anchors, there's less than 5% Hispanic anchors throughout the U.S. Um, and there's not a lot of managing editors of mainstream newspapers. There's a few. Um, Mandy, uh, Mindy Marquez from the Miami Herald 
is one. She's one of our longtime members. Um, there's a couple others, but it's very, very few. And that's part of the challenge is that for NHJ, one of the things that we've seen in the last few years is really a growth because they're realizing that on your own, you're great, sure. But under a union, not a union, <laughs> under an association of journalists, um, there's a little bit more power. And then you can leverage the relationships that we have with the networks, the newspapers, um, to really push them and hold them a little bit more accountable. Access is power. Tell us about your members' experiences covering the White House. Do you know how many people that you know that are part of your organization actually have access to the White House? And if it's a contentious relationship, I mean, Jorge Ramos got kicked out of a press conference. Tell us about your experience. Well, we have quite a few members that are working and covering the White House. We have Lori Montenegro uh, from Telemundo. We had Ev, Ed O'Keefe from the Washington Post. Um, Janet, uh, oh my gosh, what's Janet's love? Janet Rodriguez from covering from Univision. Um, we have multiple journalists that are there working, but you know, the, the challenge is that it is a, a, a dynamic that's inexperienced by anybody else. And so what I find interesting about what's happening in DC is that in DC, because the industry is under attack, that everybody's taken off their hats of what other organization they come from, and they are wearing their journalism hat. So they're much more united um, and making sure that they're holding the government accountable. Um, you don't get that same experience when you're in Dallas or in Los Angeles, when you kind of think of what's happening in DC as, as just kind of politics. But it's a very different dynamic, and it is a, a challenge for sure for them. Another aspect to your organization that's been around for more than 30 years is that you work with the media to better pro portray Hispanics in their news reports. How do you go about that? How, what discussions go on with the networks? That's, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. Um, I think the, the goal of the, the mission of the organization is to diversify the newsroom. Um, but you can't ignore that we have to take an active role in how we are really portrayed in media, especially in news. Um, and so sometimes we can have success by bringing them attention to words that they should not be using. Illegal alien was one that, that recently kind of continues to, to still pop up, but we see less and less. Um, and, you know, we push. But they're also our funders. So we have to find this right balance between how do we balance that relationship, still always hold them accountable, but you know, our tactics don't always happen externally. They also happen internally with those uh, relationships that we have. So we're constantly looking at what are the ways that we can make sure that we are doing our due diligence in how we're represented, but also knowing that we have to balance the fact that some of these journalists, um, their association to the organization can also have an impact on their careers. So we have to dance very carefully. Now, and, and, and we're not an advocacy organization, so that's also the, yeah. that's also, you know, not, that's not our charge, but working with other organizations that are is, is a little bit of that. that. What is, uh, how can people become members of, of your organization and do they have to be journalists? And tell us about your upcoming convention in Miami. Yes, actually. So, so anybody can join it. Join. Uh, you don't even have to be Hispanic. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in, in really what's happening with Hispanics in news, that's a, a perfect organization. And, and I say Hispanic, Latino, it's really kind of the, the, the same, but the organization is Hispanic journalists. But it's also made up of journalism students, uh, folks that are working communications, 
PR, marketing. Uh, we have podcasters. Podcasters, yeah. I mean, anybody who's interested in the in the medium, I think, is should be a part of it. It's only thirty five dollars for the year, okay. um, and it gives you an opportunity to kind of really know a little bit more of the inside. Now. Also, we have, because we provide scholarships, we provide a lot of education, we have events throughout the country, it just gives you an opportunity to stay connected. And frankly, it's a great way to kind of develop a relationship with local journalists. So you could be a community member that belongs to NHJ and starts attending the meetings in Dallas, for example. And then you start building a network of folks that you can tap into for stories or ideas. Um, and yes, our national conference is coming up in July. It is going to be in Miami, July 18th through the 21st. It is going to be fantastic. One, because it's Miami. Uh, <laughs> but also, this is, um, this is what's called the Standalone Convention, or conference. And so we are, the, it's actually called the International Training Conference and Career Expo, um, because we are focusing heavily on providing more skills for our journalists, everything from digital technologies. Exactly, because you were just talking about how these journalists need to diversify their skill set to stay alive in the business. So you're um, inviting digital experts to come teach these individuals? Yeah, there's gonna be a very, very strong digital uh, program track. Uh, there's also skills sets that are gonna help journalists who are freelancers. Um, there are journalists, uh, opportunities for journalists who like investigative reporting. So it's really gonna be almost like a, a, a mini training camp for an entire week. Uh, no, four days really. Um, and, and then we also have our events that celebrate the careers of journalists. Um, like this year, we're going to be celebrating um, the career of Marilena Salinas, who just retired from Univision, but is also one of our longtime founding members. So we get to kind of celebrate the careers of journalists, train them, and also have a good time. <laughs> Alberto, you're a busy man. When not running this National Association for Journalists, you solely run an online nonprofit that highlights people in the Hispanic, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. Tell us about Honor 41. So actually, it's, um, it, it has a personal relationship to me uh, because I was nicknamed 41 when I was a teenager. And I didn't know what it meant until my dad heard them calling me 41. Cuarenta you know. So I remember this day specifically because you know, we were hanging out at my house and he heard them calling me. My friends were, were hanging out. And so he yells at me to come in the garage and he goes, ¿Por qué te están diciendo eso? Yo, ¿qué? 41. Ah, es mi apodo. That's my nickname. ¿Qué? Te están diciendo maricón. ¿Eres maricón? And I was just, you know, I just remember wilting and completely feeling heartbroken that one, these guys aren't my friends, two, having to deal with this thing that I'm not ready to deal with. Exactly. And he goes out of the house, kicks them out of the house, and then forbids me for hanging out with them. So from then on, they started calling me and yelling at me, 41. But not, maybe as friends, it was more of a term in here. Now it was, it was visibly a target of wow. calling me a faggot in public without people really knowing and then people knowing. So exactly. I grew up right, um, my junior and high school years were in San Diego, Tijuana, by the San Diego Tijuana border. So we already had a lot of binational uh, folks who crossed the border daily. I myself grew up crossing the border daily to go see my grandmother or La, Las Tortillas. So Mexico as a culture was also very, very 
very much a part of what we live daily. Um, but I never asked why, what, what it meant. I, I guess I knew what it meant. I just didn't know why. Exactly. And so I, I just assume that maybe in Mexico when you're 41 and you're not married that you're, you know, considered gay. Yes. <laughs> That's my logic. Um, and, and it really wasn't. And, and unfortunately, it just created a difficult experience for me with the number 41 because I, I was harassed and bullied and, and embarrassed and humiliated um, because it was this secret that was not a secret but like a teacher hearing people yell at me 41 it didn't mean anything to them right exactly. in a way that if you blatantly called out faggot to a kid that's in the corner yeah. so it, it just kind of it was bullying that was covert basically it didn't feel covert but well, it well, to you for me, but, it, but, but for for administrators yeah. at school yeah. they had no idea yeah. And I still had an overall good experience in high school. Um, like I was student body vice president, and one of my jobs was to run the student assemblies once a month. And it never failed, but from the back of the room, they started yelling, 41, and it just kind of carried all over, and people would laugh, and I was just standing there, and I just felt like, ah, I just wanted to die. And I just remember kind of disconnecting and still doing what I had to, but just not being present. Um, and so it just kept following me, kept following me, and kept following me. And I would get the change, and it was 41 cents. And, you know, the, the time was always 1041. Or, yes. You know, like, I, I just, I don't know if it was really following me or it was, I was just so hypersensitive. But it was just a jab every time. And even as I came out, I came out at 19, um, I just felt like, okay, I would get these, Reminders of the 41, and I would just literally go, Ay, ¿qué, qué quieres? <laughs> and this is my version of asking God, what, 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 I'm a good kid, I'm a good person. You know, I never felt coming out, you know, was against God or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and so I've always maintained my relationship with God, but I didn't understand, like, why this thing was following me. And I was having dinner with a friend of mine. Uh, Roland Palencia, who's from uh, yes. Nigo. He's amazing, and he's another one of our padrinos of, of the LGBT movement. Of course. And leave it to Roland, of course, to um, during this dinner, I'm telling him this exact story that I'm saying, and and it was important because I was going to turn 41 in a couple week in a couple months mm -hmm. from when we were having dinner, and he was fascinated. But he goes, "Well, how did those kids know the story of the 41?" And I said, "What story?" So then he tells me the story. You got a hist history lesson right there and then. I got, and the funny part is that he had done a paper about LGBT figures throughout you know, Latin America in, you know, in history. And so it took a Guatemalteco to do a paper on LGBT history to find this story about Mexican LGBT at this moment in time um, that he had done 30 years before. And so the story is that in Mexico City, in, uh, on November 18th, 1901, there was a group of men that had, were having a party or a ball, a dance, half of them dressed as men, half of them dressed as women. And at one point, the cops came in, and there was 42 of them. Half, uh, so the cops come on, beat them up, throw them in jail. But one of them was the son-in-law of the then Mexican president, Porfirio Diaz. So they release him 
And then the remaining 41 were labeled as faggots, maricones, and were disappeared. Um, if their families didn't come and pay to get them out of town, then they were sent to the Yucatan. Now, oddly enough, I didn't know this until another historian shared this with me, but they were put in the section J of the jail. Jota. Jota. Yes. Los Jotos. Wow. So then another word kind of like, you know, comes out of, again, history. This one um, moment in time created so many. I still get chills, like, thinking about <laughs> it. Because I, I, you know, from then on, really calling someone 41 was another, again, that way of insulting someone, putting someone down, offending them, calling them a faggot, labeling them without really doing it or getting away with it. Exactly. And I was shocked, happy, sad. Like I was I had all these emotions of all this, of this that. number that kept following you throughout life and you finally found the reason behind it. Yeah. I well I found I the meaning behind it. I found the meaning behind it, but what it did is it you know, I think like many of us who care about our communities and, and fight for those who are underserved or, or, or need our support, I, I thought it just can't end like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, what do I do, what do I do? And, I, and it took me a little bit of time. Um, and I did a, a kind of a landscape of what organizations are out there, what are they doing, and it kind of really dawned on me that we don't have a national LGBT uh, organization that represents who we are. I mean, there was Yego many years ago, yes. but that was really around HIV. Um, we have other fantastic groups, but are more specific to <clears throat> gay Latino men in politics. Exactly. <laughs> Trans Latina immigrant women. Um, there's nothing really that's completely inclusive. Um, and I understand why. I mean, look, we have to kind of find the, the cohesion and support within our own networks. Um, but I also looked at what the media was doing and not doing. And I thought that the It Gets Better campaign really lacked voices of color. I lacked languages at that point. And I just thought it was a little irresponsible that, you know, hang in there, it gets better. Yeah. I'm like, how, when, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and so I really went into thinking, okay, I don't need to do another brick and mortar organization. We have plenty in LA, which is where I live. How do we how do we really help people with this process of coming out? Because it is a journey for a lot of us, one that isn't happened overnight. And I wanted to be able to have someone identify gay Latino, you know, online look for it and then find a resource that would help them. What's the website? So it's honor41.org. Okay. Um, and so I guess back back backtracking. So I started the organization as an online organization, and I named it Honor Cuarenta You Know, Honor Forty One. So in both languages, uh -huh. and it is really kind of to take forty one and reclaim it. That's what you did. Take Why away the negative stigma, not only for me but for anybody else who had experienced it. And if you take it away, they can't use that against you. Exactly. And so I put forty one front and center, um, and with the goals of again reclaiming. To, to educate people about this story in, in our LGBT history that some people don't know about that is important. I hear a lot of stories of folks who say, oh, nobody wanted to be 41 in the roll call, or like no one wanted to be patient 41, or whenever the number 41 came up, people would laugh, but they didn't know what it meant, and you just shared the story. Didn't you? Yeah, well, well, basically I had shared with Alberto how my dad, when he turned 41, this very masculine diesel mechanic, 
had his office decorated in pink. And I just didn't un understand what's the meaning behind that. Later on, I would figure out that they told me that 41 was uh, basically the gay number. That yeah. if you were 41, you were gay. But I never knew the history behind it until I came across your website that went into detail about the history of 41. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's something that we just grew up with knowing that that number, well, if our generation, I don't know this new generation. But yeah, probably not as much for sure. Um, and again, it just depends on what, how your proximity to Mexico or how many Mexicans exactly. are, are around. In your, in your um, community. And so the, the, the third goal is really how do we celebrate what we are doing and the great voices and the great faces and the incredible people that are doing some great work. Um, and, and so in honor <laughs> of the original 41, um, we now celebrate 41 LGBTQ role models throughout the country. Awesome. Every year we identify or identify 41 of them. And we go and identify and talk to them, do an interview, and then share a little video of their story and share it online. Um, and then share it and distribute it through the website. And is it just you or do you have people helping you collect these interviews? Uh, it has been just me. <laughs> wow. That is a labor of love. Yes. I, I, I think that's the nature of, of when you really care about something. So I'm here because um, for work, but tomorrow I'm, I'm presenting at Creating Change. Um, and I'll be there with Louis Fonseca, who started the Gran Marones Project. Uh, Luis Gutierrez, who started with the, L uh, the G GLBT History Project. Um, and I think one thing that we all have in common is that these are you know projects of of passion and love and um, you know they're at different stages of course um, but you know it almost takes that crazy passion to execute something just as kind of what you're doing uh, yeah, with the with podcast, podcast yeah. yeah well you know the other thing that's that's interesting that I can connect to what you're doing and hopefully you have a con that continued experience Honor 41 for me also came at a time where I felt really lost um, career-wise because I was working in the for-profit sector and I hated it. Just hated it. I thought, God, oh, making people, other people money. And I just like couldn't <laughs> wait. But, you know, you can't change jobs so quickly. And, and I just really just hated it. Um, and, and that's that's really kind of when, the yeah, the, this thing at the at 41 just all kind of lined up at this time where I was at my darkest professionally per se so you to create sought an outlet somewhere yeah where you can really put your energies to yeah now you got to interview several people any yeah. or some of the there's people. 164 videos yeah great so who are some of the stories that whose stories stands out with you they're all my favorite <laughs> oh, oh i love that i love that. everyone that i do everyone everything is 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 incredible i mean the you know, I, I start with five basic screens. Mm -hmm. um, they all have to be LGBTQ. Yes. So as much as we have amazing allies, as much as we have great, they have to be Latino and LGBTQ. Yes. Um, the, also, the Latino experience can be varied and needs to be varied. So I could have done 41 men in LA every year and still keep going for 10 years. But it's important to, to diversify. So we have Puerto Rican, Cuban, and Salvadoreños. I mean, like, we have a, a combination of everyone. Um, even if 41 doesn't mean the same thing in those countries, 
I think it speaks to the fact that we still don't have a lot of positive stories about who we are exactly. as LGBT Latinos. Um, also, the age is a component that's important to me. The youngest has been um, was Zoe Luna, actually. I don't know if you know of Zoe. She's a young trans girl out of LA. She just actually had her um, quinceanera feature on HBO. I love it. Uh, and it was with her mom. And the eldest, I, uh, the oldest, I think, at this point has been 78. Um, it's also really important to make sure to me that the trans community is well represented. Um, and of course, uh, again, lesbian and uh, gays and, and, and bi. Yeah. Bi, I think, is always a little bit more difficult for people to not admit, but it's, they're, they're not always as, I, I haven't found as many that as, that's as forth, forthcoming. forthcoming. Yeah. Um, but all of them are important because all of them, all of them are, very, are important. very, very different stories. And I very, I'm very clear that this isn't about leaders. This is about role models. Mm -hmm. These are folks who can look like you at different stages of who you are and where you are in life. And so, you know, yes, we have Ricardo Lara, Senator, State, State Senator Ricardo Lara. Yes. We have uh, a judge. We have, you know, a high profile network executive. We also have students. We have administrative assistants. We have, um, you know, a massage therapist. We have a chiropractor. Like, people that are not high profile at all, but they have a great story. And great I think story. that's the important part. Now, how was the mainstream Hispanic community? when you tell them about that idea, or people that you know you have to work with to get these stories on board, how have they reacted to this? And the mainstream LGBT community, do they help you? Do they question you? What's been your experience when you have to? Well, look, the, the reality of why this has also started is because we're not being yeah. included. So the gay mainstream media doesn't really include our stories unless it's crime, sex, exactly. <laughs> or something you know, scandalized. Um, or maybe it's, again, Ricardo Lara getting another great award, which yeah. he deserves, right? He deserves, but then uh, we'll always only see when, unfortunately, a trans woman of color gets murdered, yep. and it makes front page news, but we never talk about what happened that, what created a society that makes that happen, yeah. you know? And how we can prevent it. We'll never know that story. We just see the end result. Yeah. Oh, the rate of HIV in Latinos and you know infected with HIV is this, but not again about the challenges of the coming out, the self love, self hate, the combination of internalized homophobia. So, and then I'll say that this Hispanic media doesn't also include us that way unless we're a flamboyant character. That's less and less, of course. Yeah. Um, but nobody is telling our stories that way. So I haven't, um, my goal has never been about getting these stories for the for media. Really it's about for us. It's about for us. It's a celebration of us. And so this thing may or may not ever do anything more than what it is. And that's I, okay because I, I think it. it's the yeah. one person who needs to see that story that that's who we're trying to reach. And that's we who really matters. We don't need their validation. No. I, we are not going to get invited to that party. And so we created our own. Bottom line. Awesome. Yeah. Now, through your interviews, your hundred and some interviews, who are the leaders we should be looking out for? Who are some amazing people that you say, this is going to be a future person we need to watch? 
you know, I saw that question. Um, uh, well, it, it, so now I've done five. I've, it's 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 been through four years. Um, this year, this year I, I'm committed to 200, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to change up the format. Yes. Um, but you know, one of the first ones was Bambi Salcedo. Amazing. Um, and so, if you look at where Bambi was, you know, when I did this interview, to mm-hmm. where she is now, she's being featured in commercials. <laughs> and for people yeah. that don't know her, she was a, she was, she is, a transgender Latina out of the West Coast that's done amazing work to help those with HIV/AIDS yeah. and trans rights. Yeah, and she and talks she, about her experience of being undocumented, homeless, homeless, being um, found literally on the gutter of a street, dealing with addiction, dealing with being addiction. HIV positive, having been in prison. So I think all of those things, you know, are her story. Um, and so, like, in her interview with me, um, and I don't know, I had never heard it, but I asked her, why, why Bambi? Do you know why? No. Okay. So um, she says because when she was young and in Mexico, she ran really fast when she was playing oh, soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, este güey corre como venado. <laughs> <laughs> that means, you know, that guy runs like a deer, deer. like as fast as a deer. deer. And for her, she identified with the character that, but also identified with the character of Bambi, Disney, Disney character Bambi, who you thought was a male, but or thought was a female, female. but was male. Oh, okay, yeah. And so that's a part of like that moment that was caught. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's very powerful to have her. Yeah, I got to meet her, meet her in person. She's a wonderful. She's here. Girl. I'm gonna make and sure I can't you meet her. To see her this yeah. weekend at Creating Change, but she is such a lovable. And positive force yeah. in the room that you just you just want to be there with around her. And when you see her and you talk, you hear about her stories. You're thinking, man, she's had a rough life, you know. And then you see her in this uh, commercial for an insurance company. I forget which one it was. And this is a Fortune 500 company, and yeah. it has Bambi on there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, this woman. Yeah, she is. She's doing a light. It. She is a light. Absolutely. Um, so I I know. You know, at different times, some of them end up getting selected for awards and yeah. recognitions. Um, again, I don't think that's why people do any of this stuff. No. It's you do it because you're passionate about making a difference in your community. So I, I don't really know who who will do something because I think they're already doing something. Exactly. And they're already people to watch because, you know, one, we all have a story, but their story also kind of ties in. So honor41.org, for those that are listening, please take the time in your schedule to visit this website to see all these wonderful people. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, 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 it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The other, I was going to say that, but the other thing that I, I, there's a couple things that I didn't expect that happened. One, that the the each almost like these each class of forty one become interconnected. Oh. Um, and because some of them really don't know each other and they're from across the U.S., all of a sudden there's this linkage. Um, we had two kids who, one had just started medical school, and another one who was um, already in medical school, and I met somebody else who's wanted to go to medical school, and again I connected them, and. You know, talking about what the LGBT experience as a person of color, you know, Latino, 
in medical school. Like, what do you do? What do you say? What do you know? Like you're so so. I think I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't have planned that. I didn't expect that there would be this network. This wonderful synergy going on. Yeah. These people that have been recognized. Now, I will say that I originally had hoped that it would be a resource for young people. And I don't know if it is or not, but where, you know, the videos are on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. But young people really aren't <laughs> on Facebook anymore, much less Twitter. So I don't know if just by default I'm already putting things in a, in a setting that don't appeal to young people. But what we do have is their parents. And their parents are watching the videos and are saying, thank you, my kid's going to be okay. Or I didn't know. Yes. Oh, That's wow. very powerful because you got to feel for those parents. They, one, no one ever gets a book, How to Raise a Child, How to Raise a Gay Child. Yeah. So they're going at this, yeah. and they can't really reach out to their friends because they don't want their friends to know they yeah, have a gay kid. Yeah, there's still shame around it. stigma. Yep. So you could just imagine a mom trying to figure out, okay, what's going to be the path for my kid? Yeah. And what do I have to protect them from? Yep. You know? And, so and also teachers. Teachers. And religious folks who say, okay, I think I have a transgender kid in my congregation. I need to be more sensitive. Like just these great, you know, great stories about people feeling that they can connect to someone that looks like them. And if you kind of really see like a screenshot, it's truly amazing to see, you know, all Latino, but like, Darker, lighter, heavy, skinny, old, young, like everything. And that's really, it's a, it's a representation of who we are. Well, thank you so much, Alberto. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And for more information, what are the websites of your organization and Honor again? Sure. NAHJ, so NAHJ.org is for the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. Um, and for Honor 41 is Honor, Honor 41, H-O-N-R-O-N, H-O-N-O-R 41.org. And the convention in Miami, what days? July 18th through the 21st, and you can go to nhj2018.org for more information. Thank you so much, Alberto. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.